All right, we hope that you're well today and once again are so glad that you've chosen to join us for our service. Now today what we're doing is we're beginning a new series which is going to be simply entitled Faith. And when we talk about faith, we're talking about not just believing in whatever you want to or whatever, whatever idea that might motivate you in the day, but we're talking about a biblical faith, a biblical faith in the person of God, his son Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit who dwells and lives and moves amongst us today, and also the promises of God that come through his word. Now today what we're going to do by opening this series is we're going to talk about faith in a manner that's a little bit different than you might be used to. We're not going to just talk about faith in as if it's a simply a mental assent to God, meaning that through faith or by faith you believe certain things that are true about God. What we're going to talk about faith in is in terms of a biblical sense, it's going to be a dynamic of our interaction with God. How does faith actually provide a vehicle for interaction in our relationship with God as we're choosing to follow Jesus Christ according to his commands, purposes, and ways? And so today what we're going to do is we're going to open the book of Hebrews. And we're going to, over the course of the uh, faith series, look at the book of Hebrews chapter 11, which is many times called the Hall of Faith for believers, taking Old Testament patriarchs and matriarchs of the past that were recorded, their stories with God were recorded in the Old Testament, and they were explained, their journeys were explained as walks of faith in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews, in fact, was a book written to people who were familiar with the law of God, and thus you have the title Hebrews. And when you look throughout the book of Hebrews, it was a book explaining much of the Old Testament laws that were to be fulfilled in the person and the purposes of Jesus Christ, his sinless life, his miracle ministry, his death on the cross and sacrifice for your sins and mine, that as we turn away from our sins and put our trust in what he's done for us at the cross, we might not only have forgiveness of sins, but because of his resurrection from the dead, also eternal life in him. And so what we're going to do is we're going to see and dig into the book of Hebrews um, with an understanding that people were hearers who were familiar with the law of God, getting it explained to them. And part of that explanation was understanding faith in a different way than they may have understood it before. Faith in a manner that was more than just a mental ascent. Faith in such a manner that it was the basis of their relationship with God and how they followed him in a proactive manner. And so to do so today, we're going to look at two uh, passages in Hebrews. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 5, talking about how God wants to move us from a place of infancy in our faith or immaturity in our faith to a place of maturity, maturation in our faith. And what does that look like when God's actually maturing his people to begin to walk with him by faith? And then secondly, we're going to break open Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to see how God himself begins to describe that walk of faith, not simply a mental ascent to God, but also an an experience with God where as you're proactively following him, 
pursuing and seeking him on a daily basis, you're living by the faith that he gives you in his nature, his character, his word, and his promises towards you. So before we break into the word today, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and we thank you that you've given it to us so that we might know you, we might love you, and we might walk with you by faith. God, we're asking that regardless of what we have understood faith to be up to this point, that God, you would help us by your word to mature to a place of not just simply going over the milk of the word, good as it is, but that we might come to a deeper level of understanding of your ways and how to walk with you by the faith that you've given us, by example of the patriarchs and the matriarchs, that you expect to be an, um, an appropriation of our walk with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's open our Bibles today to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, and again, the author is writing to an audience that may have been familiar with the Word of God because of their cultural background, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, but God is now giving them an exhortation to go beyond just a mental ascent and go into a place of proactive faith with Him. So it says this in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. It says, about this, about this, and the, this in this circumstance was basically uh, the writer of Hebrews describing Jesus as the great high priest who's come to be a mediator between God and humanity. And so he was explaining the importance of Jesus and his function as our great high priest in the world today, but we see that Jesus, he went, the writer of Hebrews went beyond talking about just the nature of Jesus to how we're going to interact with Jesus and walk with him. And he says, about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. And so what we see here is a very clear example of God's desire to bring his people to maturity. And he wants to bring them to maturity by helping them understand how to move from a place of just feeding on the milk of the Word of God, which is foundational, fundamental, and also quite important. You cannot build a good life in God without proper foundations in place. That's why we're always promoting to you um, participating, if you have not already, in our Purple Book Biblical Foundations class. You can do that both in person and online. And even if you've done it before, it's something that I myself go through regularly, year after year, to make sure that the foundation of my faith or my walk with God is actually firm. But the thing about it is, is that though uh, 
mother's milk or though milk given to children is good for building strong bones and structure right in their in their bodies giving them a proper frame a healthy frame off of which to build that is not the totality of their lives in God. As a matter of fact, what you see as many of you are new parents, the, one of the exciting things in your child's development is actually seeing your child move from Gerber <laughs> to actually solid food, food that you might cook for your own table and being able to participate with you in the food being offered to the older population. And that's what God wants for his people. I know that uh, even today, uh, my daughter, my eldest daughter is getting ready to, at the end of this uh, semester, graduate from high school and go on to her college experience. And though it is a um, um, time of great transition and seasonal change, many people ask me, they say, Roland, is, is that breaking your heart? Are you so sad that she's going to be going into college now and that she's going to be experiencing life basically outside of your home? And to that question, I often reply, no. The answer is no. I'm excited for her and I'm excited about the next season that God has for her in her development and in her walk with him and her going on into the purposes of God. Because we've preached to her since she was a baby that she's God's work. I mean, not since she was a baby, but since she gave her life to Jesus and was a baby in the faith, that she was God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for her to do. And so now, according to Ephesians 2.10, she's able to, in another season, enter into this even further. And so it's an appropriate thing that she graduates. It's an appropriate thing that she goes to college in this next season of life. And I don't feel like I'm forlorn about it because we've been with her, my wife and I, through every season of development. We've been there the past 18 years and seen her grow from baby food to adult food and grow in her faith from merely understanding the gospel to actually working it out in her own life and now by faith learning to walk with Jesus into his plans and purposes for her lives. So it feels like her seasonal transition is an appropriate one and we celebrate it. And we hope that will be the case for you and your children as you walk them through each stage in their development. But in the same way, God's saying that God wants you to do the same thing in your faith. He's saying, listen, well, by this time, the writer writing to the Hebrews, um, writing the book of Hebrews to his listeners says, by this time, many of you ought to be teachers. You need to actually be taught the elementary truths of God's word all over again. What does he mean by that? He means that when you hear the word of God, you ingest it, you meditate on it, you allow it to transform and change you, ultimately it's going to cause you to grow. And ultimately that growth means that the benefits of God's word aren't just for you, but as you walk with God, grow with God, and mature in God, eventually God says the benefit that it's been to you, this gospel, your relationship with Christ, I want you to now grow and mature to a place that your knowledge of God becomes a benefit to others. That you might actually be a teacher of the word and not just someone who receives the things of God. You're not just a consumer, but you're a servant of the Lord being able to be a giver in the house of God and in the purposes of God. 
And so he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's word all over again, all over again and you need milk, not solid food. And the truth of the matter is, is that many people in their Christian lives, they stay in the place of only feeding on milk. Though milk's important, they only stay there. And what that means is they, though they chronologically age and have been in the church for years, they are still infants in their faith. They're still infants in their faith. And to the, um, to the opposite example, I see many people who are zealous for God zealous for God when they've been transformed and changed by him, born again and recreated by the Spirit of God. And when they get the revelation of who Jesus is, his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, they start to run after God with all of their hearts. And even though they might have been in the church for a shorter period of time, they far surpass older people who've been in the church longer than them for many years because they're intent on not just feeding on the milk of the word, but they're through faith and obedience looking to put the word into practice and mature to eating the solid food of the faith. And so if we want to be people who are ultimately following God and maturing into what he wants us to be, ultimately, number one, what it means is that we finally understand that our walk with God isn't just about us. It's about us, but it's also about the people that we love and we serve, both in the church and outside of it, through the gospel, as we become teachers of the word that he himself has first taught us. And then he's saying that there's something that I want you to mature into, but to do so, you can't act like a child just going through the emotions over and over again. You've got to understand the biblical foundations and then learn how to live by faith. So what are those biblical foundations? He says, again, let us leave the elementary doctrine, Hebrews 6, 1 of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. So if you are going to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to repent of dead works. You've got to repent, meaning number one of your sin, because we know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we repent of our death works and we turn to Christ for the life that he actually created us for. And he says, repent of also dead works trying to work your way to God. Because we know that we're saved, not by works, but by grace through faith. Grace through faith in what Jesus has done for us. But he's, that's what he's talking about as the second foundation. The first foundation is repentance from dead works. The second one is faith toward God. So you turn away from your sin. You turn away from your rebellion against God and turn to a life of trust in God. That's foundational. Turning away from one thing, turning to another. And that other thing is faith in God. I'm building my life on my trust in him and his word. And of instructions about washings. What does that mean? He's talking about the fact that when you repent, the first thing that you need to do is get baptized. Get baptized in water. Being united with the burial of Christ by faith into the death of Christ. You're being buried in those waters of baptism. And by your faith in the power of God, you're rising into new life and the freedom of new life 
in Jesus Christ. That's the washings that he's talking about. But it's not only an external washing, it's an internal washing by the Holy Spirit of God, by which God comes and cuts away the old man or the old woman from you. And your identity is no longer in the what people said you were or how you identified yourself before, but your identity is now in Jesus Christ and his resurrection life, his identity for you. He washes you externally and internally about the laying on of hands. Whenever hands are laid on you, that is foundational for what? For an impartation that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And once you've matured, actually have hands laid on you for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to operate in and through your life so that you might be of service to God in service to other people. And what we see is that it's a foundational thing that God wants us to have in our lives. But it's not only that, we're doing it all with the resurrection, the resurrection of the dead in our sight and in our minds. Why? Because there's going to be an eternal judgment where God brings to an account every man and every woman for the life that they've lived before him. And those are the elementary things. That's what should drive your life from the get-go and really frame your life. The structure, the bones that should frame your life every day. That whenever you get up each day, you have these things in mind and these things in your sight. And because of it, it becomes the skeletal structure. The things that every time you read the word and you remind yourself of these things, it's like calcium going into your bones, strengthening your bones and preventing osteoporosis, preventing the decay of your skeletal structure that will keep you full of conviction, full of faith and sound in your life and doctrine as you give yourself to the word of God day by day. But those are, once again, the elementary things. And God wants us to go on to maturity. And according to Hebrews 6.3, this we will do if God permits. Now, the thing about if God permits is that he already told you he wants you to go on to maturity. But the question is, how do we go from the elementary things to actually living a mature life in Christ? And the answer is the topic of this series living a life of faith that he says actually the righteous in god will live by faith they'll live not by what they see but they'll live by confidence in god's word and his promises towards them i want to live by faith not by sight right and this is what god's talking about when he talks about going on to a life of maturity in him so let's turn to hebrews chapter 11 starting in verse 1 and talk a little bit about what this faith looks like. How do I, in fact, live a life of faith beyond just a mental ascent so that I might mature in my walk with God and actually please Him in all my ways? Well, Hebrews chapter 1, 11, verse 1 starts this way, telling us how. It says, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it, people of old received their commendation. And here's the point, commendation from who? Not necessarily the world around them, but they received their commendation from the most important source, who is God himself. So what God's saying here is what I'm about to show you is how to live a life where you receive your commendation from God. How do you live a life where you receive your commendation from God? This is what Hebrews 11 is talking about. 
And he says in verse 2, For by it, meaning that faith, the people of old were received their condemnation. For by faith, verse 3, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So let's stop right there. It says, so by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So faith, a biblical faith, actually begins with your intellect. It actually begins by the revelation of God in your reasoning capacity, where God opens your mind to understand the scriptures. God opens your mind to understand his ways and that you come into trust by agreeing with that which God has revealed about himself and about how he's interacted with his creation, including humanity, from the beginning of time. And he says that faith begins intellectually. That's why apologetics are so great, right? It begins intellectually and leads you to action. It begins intellectually and leads you to relationship with the living God. And so we see that by faith we understand. God says it, we believe it, we trust it, and we're changed by it. And that change in us produces new action and new living in us. And this was not just for us today, but it's also how it affected the people of old. The people who were interacting with God throughout history in the Old Testament. And this is what Hebrews 11 begins to open up for us. How did they, in fact, live by that faith? He said in verse 4, By faith, Abel, who was the son of Adam and Eve, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him, I'm sorry, God commended um, commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, meaning God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder, that he rewards those who seek him. Good news, right? So none of my pursuit of God is in vain. God's going to reward me as I seek him by faith. Verse 7, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Okay, so let's break these down a little bit. What is he talking about here, and how can we begin to get a picture of faith? If it begins in my understanding, and it begins intellectually, how do I mature to a place so that I can actually live a life where God himself is commending the way that I live, and also, and also I'm living a life that pleases him, because I'm seeking him by faith, by a trust in his word, and living in such a way that it brings him pleasure. Well, let's start with Abel and Cain. What we know about Abel and Cain is that they were brothers. Both Abel and Cain were the children of Adam and Eve. 
And what we know about Adam and Eve is though they had unbroken fellowship with God in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, we see that Adam used to walk with God in the cool of the day, in the Garden of Eden, and they have unbroken powerful fellowship with one another. The very relationship that you and I were created for, Adam and Eve had it with God. And God put them in a garden and gave them a job to do. He said, Adam, take dominion over the earth and fill it. Subdue it. What he meant by that is cultivate the earth. Care for the earth. Name the animals. And I'm going to give you a helper, a, a companion who is going to complete you, Eve. And you together are going to rule my over my creation. Now, the thing about it is that God said, I'm going to give you trees and a, a, a beautiful habitat, a beautiful environment, what you are to enjoy. But I'm telling you, you may eat from any of the trees of the garden, except for one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. Now, what that tree represented was their moral autonomy. Satan came in as the story went, tempted Eve, Eve gave to Adam, they both fell. They both entered into a life of sin. And when Adam and Eve went and hid themselves, which is the natural human proclivity, whenever we sin, what God did in response, when they were trying to cover themselves up, is God came looking for them. And instead of them covering themselves with their own machinations, what they had made for themselves, God provided the first blood sacrifice and covered them with some of the skins of the animals. So God was setting a precedent saying, I don't want you to hide from me. I don't want you to run from me. I'm coming looking for you. And when I ask you, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Tell me where you are. It's not that God doesn't know where we are. God knows everything we've done and everything we've experienced. But he says, where are you? Giving us an opportunity to admit where we are to God. And God says, listen, when you do this and when you have the humility to repent and actually say, God, I've blown it myself, but I'm turning and trust to you now. God says, I've got a solution to all of this. I'm going to bring you back into relationship with myself by making a covering for yourself that you couldn't make. I'm going to make a blood offering, a sacrifice for you. What was this? This was a foreshadowing. This was a foreshadowing of Jesus who would ultimately come to be a righteousness covering for us in the midst of our sin of which we're, of which we're repenting of when we, turn for, when we turn to him. God was saying the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb was going to come and cover you and do for you what ultimately you can't do for yourself. This was a foreshadowing picture of it. And so when Cain and Abel show up on the scene, the children of Adam and Eve, you better believe they heard these stories. They heard how God came looking for them in the midst of their sin and how they had blown it. And Abel, knowing that he was built for a life of worship, began to give a sacrifice, offered to God a sacrifice. But what kind of sacrifice? A sacrifice, the scripture says in Genesis of the first fruits of the flock. Uh, from the first fruits, he also imitated God and gave God exactly what God set a precedent for. 
And he said, God, you provided a blood sacrifice for us. I'm going to, in worship, offer that sacrifice back to you and do what you've exemplified for me. Cain, on the other hand, wanted, went back the way of Adam and Eve, his parents, and started to give God a sacrifice from the fruit of the land. So meaning whatever he could work for, that's what he tried to please God with, trying to work his way to God. It says that by faith, God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice because he simply trusted God and God's ways and did the things that were pleasing to God as God exemplified it. He imitated God and then God was pleased with the offering that Abel made. While Cain trying to work his way to God, God said, I'm not pleased with that sacrifice because it wasn't done in faith. So lesson here, if you want to please God, how do you live by faith? You imitate him and do things the way that he does them. That's what the scripture is all about. God is showing us how to live by faith, saying, listen, do what I do in the way that I do it. It's not just about my commands. It's how I do things, my ways. And when you live according to my ways, by faith, I'll be pleased with you. That's the first lesson that we can learn, growing in maturity and actually coming to a place of walking by faith. The second one is Enoch, a man named Enoch, generations down. He is said that he walked with God. Though Adam and Eve had gotten kicked out of the garden, God still was in desirous for desiring relationship with humanity. And there was a man named Enoch who was turned toward God, and it said that he walked with God by faith. He walked with God, and so closely so, he had such a pursuit of God that by faith he was taken away. And he actually, this is one of the only encounters in scripture that we have where this man did not experience a physical death as we know it, but he walked so intimately with God that when his time was up, God said, okay, son, Enoch, this has been good. I've enjoyed this fellowship with you. Let's continue on. Come with me and can come into the eternal life that I've provided for you. It said that he was no more because God took him away. Why? Because when he lived... When he lived, he was commended as one who pleased God. He oriented not just different parts of his life, but his entire life around God. And so everything that came from him was an offering of faith to God. And therefore, God was pleased to take him away so that he didn't even experience the death that all humanity deserves. Next one. It says that without in faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Very plain and good news for all of us that if you are putting forth effort to seek God in trust and by faith, God was going to reward you. That's the point there. Not only do you believe that he exists, but when you pray, you pray because you have faith that he's there. And yet you, when you pray, you believe that he hears you. And we know according to his word that if we pray anything in accordance with his will, he know, we know that he hears us and that if he hears us, we have exactly what we've asked from him because we're coming into agreement with his word and his ways. That's living a life of faith. Actually, a prayer life is actually a life of faith. When you pray, you're saying, God, I believe you. I'm crying out to you because I know you're there. And not only do I know you're there, I know you're going to reward me as I seek you. That's self-evident from the scripture. But let's jump ahead to our last person that we're going to discuss today before we get into some more of these individuals next week. 
It says that by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. What's he talking about here? Well, many of you are familiar with the story of Noah and the great flood. But think about it. Before the flood came, God gave him a command to build an ark. Why? Because he let him know in advance that there was going to be a destruction of the world as he knew it and humanity therein because of their constant evil and the violence that came out of them perpetually. God says, I'm coming to judge the evil in the world. And Noah, I know you've been a man who's been after my heart. I know you've been righteous. I know you have been trying to seek me. And therefore, I'm going to save you and your family. So by faith, Noah, even though you don't see it now, you need to choose to believe me when I say I'm going to bring this world to account for its sin. And I'm going to bring judgment on this world. And you need to build an ark accordingly. And so Noah, by faith chose to believe God in his words about what was to come. And then in reverent fear, he began to over the course of a period of time and probably in the midst of ridicule of all of his neighbors and countrymen surrounding him, pointing fingers at him saying, man, Noah, you're crazy. There is not a drop of rain in the sky. Why are you spending all this time, this effort, this energy, these resources? on a warning that comes from an invisible God who we don't know, we don't respect. And Noah, in reverent fear, ignored the noise, drowned out the noise, put his confidence in the word of God, and actually said, I'm going to, in reverent fear, by faith, move to action. And he built that ark. And because he built that ark, and God was true to his word, he and his family were saved. And Noah and his family went into that ark Noah and the animals went into that ark, two of every type. And it said that though the floods came and according to the word of God, destroyed the earth as we know it. We see that Abraham, not Abraham, but Noah was saved because of his faith, which produced an action in him, an action that built that ark. And so today, as we end this first portion of faith, knowing that God wants to move us from infancy to maturity, this is a point. That faith is not just a mental, intellectual ascent, but it is actually a driving force in your relationship with God. That when God speaks, we need to believe it, and because we believe it, pursue Him. And knowing that when we pursue Him, He's going to reward us. And as he rewards us, part of the reward is that he brings about in and through us actions that are beneficial for the saving of our lives and the saving of the lives of our families and the saving of the lives of our friends, neighbors, co-workers, and those around us who so desperately need his gospel. This is the point, that though Abraham built this ark of wood, ultimately God sent his own son, Jesus, to save us through a piece of wood as well. But Jesus lived the sinless life that we should have lived and ultimately became on the cross the ark that we need to save our lives by dying a sacrificial death, taking the punishment that we deserve for our sins on himself. 
And because he was innocent, three days later, though the wrath of God came down, just like the rain came down to destroy the earth in Noah's time, three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead. Just as after a 40-day period, the rain ceased, and we see that the flood dissipated. And they were once again able to go into a new life in the new creation of God. And we see that that's the same thing that God wants to do with you and with me today. He wants to wipe away, destroy through the waters of baptism that old man and that old woman, but bring us into new life in him. And then as we learn to distinguish good from evil, turning away from sin, he says he wants to bring us by faith into a life of maturity that's lived in him, a trust in him all again by faith. And so we're going to talk about this more over the next several weeks. But before we do that, let's end today with a word of prayer. And first, I want to give anyone an opportunity, if you hear this word today, and understand that, you know what, if you in your life were to stand before God today, you would not be like one of these, uh, you would not be like Noah who built and entered the ark in holy reverence and fear to God. But you would have been like his surrounding countrymen, living in sin, living in disobedience, not turning from acts that lead to death. And you know you would deserve death and hell. But today, you hear his word and you want to receive what Jesus did for you by faith. You want to enter the ark by faith so that you might be saved and changed by the living God. If that's you today and you want to come to Jesus, bow your knee to him and enter that ark for your salvation, would you pray this prayer with me? Almighty God, I admit to you today that I'm a sinner. And I know that I've lived in rebellion. And I know I've lived in selfishness. I know that I've lived in sin before you. I know I deserve death and hell, but I don't want it. And I thank you that you sent Jesus, your son, to live the perfect life I should have lived. And on the cross, die the sacrificial death that I should have died. He did it in my place. And because he was innocent three days later, you raised him from the dead. So that I could have not only forgiveness of sins, but new life in you. God, I run to this ark today. And I ask you to make me a new creation. I proclaim Jesus my Lord. And I'm asking you how to, sh um, to show me how to love you and walk with you by faith for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the good news is, is if you prayed that prayer, God said he's made you a new creation. So would you go with me to our website, secondcitychurch.com slash new life. There you can find not only resources, but next steps of how to walk out this new life in God with a community of faith by faith in him. And for the rest of us, let's go back into worship now and allow God to search our hearts and say, God, have we been infants or are we those who by faith are pursuing you to mature in you into all your purposes and ways? And as we allow him to search our hearts, use this as a time of not only worship, but also prayer, asking God to bring you to a new place in him. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen.